The name is Bond. James Bond. <laughs> oh, that was so lame. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to... <laughs> Hello, everyone. Episode one of Raven Bond. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, I should make, I'll make that the, th- the theme tune. Uh, it should it, yeah. it makes sense obviously to have Monty Norman's classic the James Bond theme Absolutely. as the Raven Bond theme because why not uh, I am Natalie Bohensky lifelong James Bond fan and with me as always is Stuart Late pop culture nerd and are you a James Bond fan Stuart we should we should have this discussion we we will have it on mic uh, <laughs> yes I, I am a James Bond fan <laughs> Natalie I'm probably I'm definitely not as big of James Bond fan as you I think I think you is uh, somewhat surprisingly, some might think, are uh, a super fan of James Bond and always have been for as long as I've known you. The thing is, I'm a super fan in the sense that it's been a big pop cultural influence in my life. And I always watched the Bond film. Uh, you know, I grew up watching them on TV, always went to the movies fastidiously. But I don't... Um, like I don't go to fan conventions or contribute to forums on the internet or, you know, I'm not. <laughs> you're you're um, a private enthusiast. I'm, I'm, I'm an enthusiast. It is my jam. Uh, I love to talk about the Bond films. I particularly love to talk about the portrayal of women in Bond films. because <laughs> uh, I think it's very easy for people to dismiss the Bond films. And I know a lot of people don't like them for various reasons. Absolutely. Uh, but I also think that there's a lot to love about them and there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek joy to the Bond films that I think it can be easy to dismiss as, you know, of another time, sexist, kind of ridiculous, over the top. But I still think that it's such an enduring uh, literary and cinematic character. I think it's such an amazing franchise. It's the most... I can't think of another film franchise that's as successful, as long-running as the Bond films. Mm. Maybe you count Doctor Who, although that's TV. But it's just brilliant. And and I <laughs> and I, I think that um, being a female fan of the Bond films brings a different perspective because a lot of people assume that most big jo- James Bond fans are men. Sure, and, absolutely. And that they have a reputation as dad movies. And and look, to be honest, I guess it was my dad who would have them on and we would watch the Bond films, but I've far surpassed my dad in <laughs> love of Bond films. Like he and my mum will sort of forget which one's which. And that can happen, particularly growing up when there'd be a Bond film on, you know, they'd run the Bond films on a Saturday night and you sort of forget, oh, which was the one where the guy got blown up in the shark tank with the thing and which was the one <laughs> the guy got eaten by sharks? I get them confused. So, uh, you know. It, there I, is a, to be fair, there is a lot of shark action uh, in, in the very in the Bond franchise. It's because why not, Stu? Sure. Because why not? Um, so you are a fan, but uh... I'm a casual. I'm a casual fan. I, I'm a, I'm aware of the Bond franchise. I actually haven't seen every single movie. Um, there are some that I have maybe only seen like once and quite disjointed and don't go back to a lot. And I'll admit that. And that's why yeah. I think this process will be really fun is go because there's definitely my favorites. And in, in establishing ourselves to do this project, I went and got my collection of DVDs out and I was surprised that I only have about half of the movies, maybe right, just yeah. over half on DVDs. And I don't, the most recent one I have is Casino Royale. I don't have any of the subsequent. Uh, and not, not even Skyfall. I mean, Skyfall is the big ones. one. Yeah. 
Skyfall was great, but I, look, there's been really questionable choices made during the Daniel Craig era, <laughs> and this is where we start getting into Natalie's, you know, sure criticism thing. Well, no, absolutely, no. no I mean, this is what we're here to do. I um, love Ms. Bond. I think Kiss, Casino Royale was great, but yes. I think, and you've made this point on our podcasts before when we've brought yeah. up James Bond about how they spent the first one talking about him as this new super spy. Yeah. And then everyone since they've been talking about how he's old and busted. <laughs> yeah, because they they did a, a stealth prequel that didn't that they then like had to reckon with the fact that this film franchise is is what fifty years old. Uh, so they they have to James Bond then becomes this avatar of of like a a broken old man trying to find like relevance in the world. Yeah. And and so they, he, he immediately goes from rookie spy to grizzled old veteran. Yes. In the space of a movie. It's it's yeah. it's the whiplash is astonishing. So I think um part of this process will be really fun to kind of go through all that and and once we get to the Daniel Craig ones we'll have this whole backstory. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we are going through in in broadcast or broadcast like 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 so release order release so order. we're, we're going to jump around where we're going to go yeah. we're starting with dr no and, and we're moving through and we're going through in order of film now of course the books were released in a different order dr sure, no yeah. was not the first bond book have you read the books i've read some of them i have some of them but i haven't read all of them right so that's is, the level of fandom you're at because i've never i've never read any of the books oh okay I, i've always been to because but apparently they're even more sexist and racist than the movies are. <laughs> so, well, look, I mean, I shouldn't use the phrase it was a different time, but Ian Fleming was a particular character. And sure, yes. he, I'm aware of Ian Fleming. <laughs> you know, so he's, he's, he's a guy who was in the war, and a lot of sort of what he created in Bond is stuff that he'd had tangential experience of working in sort of naval intelligence and that sort of thing. And you're talking about kind of last days of empire and you're talking about cultural stereotyping and that sort of thing. Hmm. The main thing that I um, can think of when talking about the books is that a lot of them are quite slow paced. And that's something that I do want to talk about with this first film incarnation, like in Goldfinger, the movie, there is an extended sequence where Bond plays golf with or at Goldfinger, which we'll get to. (laughs) <laughs> in the novel, it's like a third of the book is just the golf game with Goldfinger. So well, because there's a, they're, they're, they're spy novels, like, like the, and and that used to mean like you know intrigue and suspense. Yes, and, know, and films have gone from that, and particularly I think it's really evident here in Doctor No, is how much the films have transformed into that full action genre. Yeah, so you're getting a lot more high budget fights and. Uh, chase sequences and explosions and all that sort of stuff. Whereas early on, you had a lot more of that spy thriller kind of slower, more paced um, intrigue. So Dr. No is where we're going to start with the first filmed Bond adventure uh, released in October 2012, uh, 2012, in 1962. 2012 was the 50-year anniversary. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been trying to do some research on this one, Stu. Uh, so Bringing facts we- to the table. Bring I'm glad you have, because I all I all I've done is watch the movie and and that's it. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I think um, it was just more to get some because there's some key names that kind of crop up over and over again in terms of the directors we see, some of the set designers uh, that I think it's sort of good to to bring up. So we'll kind of start to see patterns and um, you know those kind of key Bond 
uh, what would you call them? Things. Well, like tropes. The the tropes of the, the Bond, Bond franchise. Tropes. You know, they started somewhere. They haven't just. They definitely did. Many yeah. of them started in the. Well, not not this movie, which I, I do want to sort of get into. That's really interesting. Yeah, some do, some don't. So um, yeah, we'll talk about that. But let's start as we always do with a minute challenge, uh, with. Uh, our, our we put one minute on one minute on the clock and then try to write down as much as we can remember about the film. So <laughs> Stu, I'm going to challenge you to go first. What okay. uh, what your takeaways from Doctor No? Okay, so the, uh, the first thing I wrote down was pilot syndrome. So this was the first uh, Bond film, and there was no such thing. Isn't it amazing to think that there was no such thing as a James Bond film before yeah. this, this film came out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there was a James Bond television series i want to say in canada or something weird that's right there was yeah, some yeah. weird thing i think it was a live to air uh series which they yeah. used back then can you imagine <laughs> a live to air drama series basically a filmed play um yeah but live know, but live and, and james bond like how does that work i don't even know yeah. like it's bizarre but this was the first like non-book related uh non-television related uh, Bond thing, and before this, there was no th- such thing as a James Bond film. It's insane to me. Yeah. Um, so if we do want to go into a bit of the production history, uh, the um, Bond film rights had been bought by a producer called Harry Saltzman um, mm-hmm. for for the novel anyway. But then another producer called Albert uh, Cubby Broccoli. Cubby Broccoli, who I'm, very, I'm very I am famous. familiar with. And he literally came from the family in Italy that created Broccoli, like it was named after their family. Well, that's the They're, thing. I, I I used to think, ha, huh, that's a funny name. And it's like, no, no, no. Like his family yeah, created, created the vegetable. Yeah. <laughs> like crossbreeding various, I don't know, collards? Is that what they're called? I can't remember. But, yes, whatever the vegetable type is, that's his family history. So he wanted to buy the rights off Saltzman, but Saltzman didn't want to sell, so they decided to create a partnership to make the films. Uh, and so uh, there were two companies. Uh, Eon Productions produced the Bond films and then Dan Jack, which is named after Albert Broccoli's two wives, like I think a Danielle and a Jacqueline or something. So he, he's his first wife who died and his second wife, and they hold the rights to the film. So you'll still see Dan Jack in Bond film credits because, sure. of course, Barbara Broccoli is Albert Broccoli's daughter who is now the continues to be the main producer of the Bond films. Yeah. Um, Isn't it insane to think that, like, this film franchise, like so a film franchise like this, like tends to get passed around. It, you know, if it was this long running, it would be, it would have passed through multiple like production companies and there would be, you know, people would be doing their own takes on things. This is like a family business. This is something that yeah. started in the sixties and they're still making them today. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of another thing that, that is like this. It's, it's fascinating. A little, it's a little boutique uh, family operation. <laughs> so strange. Uh, so yes, pilot syndrome. You were saying. Yes, well, I mean, so so because this is the first Bond film, uh, it's sort of a little bit off-brand almost. Like everything's there, but you know, like the the, the it's got the opening shot of the the the, the circles crossing over each other, and the he gun turns barrel to, to the gun barrel the gun barrel scene sequence. Yeah, so so that's there, but it's kind of weirdly truncated. Like they they kind of had a weird thing to it and then like and the, the, the credits connery. it's not sean connery and it's and not sean connery, connery yeah because apparently they it's stuntman bob simmons yes 
Connery didn't want to do the, 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 the walk or something, so they just got his, his, his stunt double. Um, and he's wearing, like, a hat. Yes. In it. Like, it's very strange. Like, like, just everything's slightly off that they hadn't quite nailed down exactly what James Bond was because they didn't know what James Bond was. This was all sort of them feeling out. I think okay. more the fact that, that, you know, it was based, it was sort of just out of the 50s and men still wore hats. <laughs> men still wore hats. That's true. That's true. They, as they still their... wore uh, suits and ties to the beach. And, we hey, see. we'll get into this, but. High-waisted pants. High-high-waisted pants. Ultra-high-waisted pants. High-high-waisted <laughs> pants. My God. Anyway. They need to come back. They need to come back. <laughs> those, those things are at the armpits. Yes. Jesus. He's walking around his hotel room. We're, we're jumping ahead, but he's, like, I, I was watching it with my wife, and she was like, man, like, like he's he's wearing those pants, like, real high. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Very strange, but um, so yeah, it is a bit of a pilot syndrome, and so the, so the whole movie is a little bit strange, um, to sort of think of like it's oh man, how how interesting that they're sort of just they're creating it as they go along, like you know, and obviously they are because like you create every movie, but you know you wonder how much if they thought at the time, hey, you know, we're, we're creating something that's going to last, you know, s- nearly 60 years and running at this point. You know, it's just, it's incredible to think of. Um, so the, the next thing I wrote was, uh, this movie is weirdly patriarchal, but in sort of a charming way, which makes it sound like I'm letting the movie off the hook, but it's like, Bond is objectively terrible to a, a number of different women in this in this uh, movie, but he's also weirdly he's got a weird Big Brother vibe to a lot of them. Like certainly, it's just it's very it's very strange. Like like the the, the Money Penny uh, relationship is set up straight away, and it continues yeah. throughout all the different movies that I've seen anyway, where they have this sort of flirtatious relationship. But, like, he's, like, kissing her hair and stuff. Like, when, when they're sitting, like, he's sitting down, he's, like, kissing her head. So one of like, my notes one of my notes was uh, there's some serious workplace uh, incident behaviour that like, wouldn't happen now. You, you sit there and watch it, and it's strange because they, they, it's obviously mutual flirting. Like, like they, are, they are obviously into each other. Yeah. And yet, like they, like, they even say, I think, like, they're not allowed to almost. Like, they may make a joke about it, but it's, like, they are clearly like super into each other, like to the point where they're basically like pouring at each other in the office, <laughs> like, but they're just not allowed to go any further. It's very strange. And yet, and the, the way, the way he talks to and acts around the different women in this film is just fascinating to sort of analyze because it's, it's patronizing in many ways, but then it's also like, the women and, and you know, obviously they're they're written this way, so you know, you can sort of say there's there's that element to it, but the women are also patronizing him in many ways. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth that's going on that I think doesn't get acknowledged when people well, sort of slam these films. Certainly in this film yeah. anyway. Later films is, maybe not, but the thing is is that the women that he does treat uh um I guess more harshly, they're women who are, as it turns out, spies. So sure, yes. He, so he treats. So let's go through the main women in this. Sylvia Trench, first of all, who's his, <laughs> who's he meets. He's, he's the famous Bond, James Bond, at the casino. Yes. Uh, to most iconic, you know, moment in cinema 
Actually, can, can we can we just delve into that for two seconds? Because <laughs> what I do love about that is that, like, in the moment... Well, that was my first on my list. Oh, right, that's of course, yes. That's my first thing. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, save, we'll save it for then, then. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. That's okay. We can do it now. I'll just move down on my list. But, but that was my point, was that moment where he lights a cigarette, Bond, Bond James yeah. Bond. It's just... It so encapsulates the character. It gives him this sort of very um, he's he's he knows what he's doing. He's very sharp and intelligent, but he has mm. the ability to just be so laissez-faire about it, like Bond. Yes. Like, I'll answer you after I've lit my cigarette. <laughs> you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Are they but playing Baccarat a, there or? They're playing Baccarat, yeah. Right, okay, yes. It's a version of called Charmaine de Fer. I was looking it up on Wikipedia last night trying to understand the rules. <laughs> I well, he said he said something like, yeah, he, he said, so, uh, you know, I'm uh, playing Shaman de Fer. I'm like, what, what the yeah. hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, the version of Baccarat. Yeah. Right, sure. <laughs> but, but talking about those women, just to bring it back to what you were saying, you know, um, Sylvia Trench, we see first. She's a very, uh, I think, probably a, a 60s, and this is even really before Free Love 60s, but she's just a forward obviously wealthy woman mm. who, you know, likes James Bond and decides to just break into his house to Yeah, and, and like him. nothing ever comes of that. Like it's not oh, no, like that's, Yeah, that's that's she's supposed to be a recurring girlfriend, so she does appear in From Russia with Love. Oh, see now this is the thing. I haven't seen uh From Russia with Love for for years and I haven't rewatched it yet. So I wasn't yeah, so okay, yeah. fair enough. So she's in that one and as a she's kind of like his girl about town in London. Right, okay. Sort of okay, that makes sense. She, then, would, yeah. she would just be – so there'd be Money Penny, the secretary he'd flirt with, then his sort of lover, excuse me, in London, and then obviously all the girls that he subsequently meets. But she's – they kind of meet on fairly equal terms to, to my yes, mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a very equal footing established very early, which is interesting. Yeah. They're both kind of dark and mysterious. And then uh, she says, oh, you don't have to leave straight away. He's got like three hours before he's got to be on a flight yeah. in which he's supposed to study uh, documents about the disappearance of an agent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, he look, looks, at his, looks at his watch. He's like, oh, I've got time. Then there's, and I don't know the character's name, but the, she's the photographer who snaps him at the airport and then again yes, at the club. Yeah, and then again at the club. And he's like, grab her. We need to know why you're taking my photo. Why you? And it turns out she is a spy for Dr. No. Sure. So he's suspicious. Then there's the secretary at the government house, Miss yes, Tara, who is also a spy for Doctor No. Who is also a spy for Doctor No. Who she he seduces, uh, or you know, she's she's trying to have him killed, and he he. That's, has, that's you know, probably the most problematic one, I think, because he definitely. He, this is this is you know, and this is the thing. This is spy. She tried to have him killed. I'm sure, not saying, sure. I'm not saying it's not problematic. I'm just going that it's not. He's not taking advantage well, of her. He's outwishing her. We, we should take a moment to just acknowledge that several of the characters in this movie are in yellow face and it's not great. But She's one of them. Yep, she yeah, sure is. She's not... Um, and it's, it's, it's not, to be fair, it's not as bad as it could be, but it's certainly not great. When we so get to You Only Live Twice... That. Yes, when we get I know, I know. <laughs> and Sean is made up to look Chinese. No, Japanese. Oh, I know, I know. You know, I'm... things get a lot worse. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, in many ways, this movie is very restrained, in many ways, and yeah. that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that's a blanket. 
it's a blanket look things. And for some reason I found myself in a YouTube rabbit hole the other night and was watching clips of Lawrence of Arabia, which I've never seen. And I did not realize that one of the main sort of Muslim uh, princes, I guess, Prince Faisal in Lawrence of Arabia is played by Sir Alec Guinness. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing. Um, Sir Alec Guinness He's also not- played uh, Fagan. Uh, famously, with a big prosthetic nose. Oh right, yes, well, yeah. I remember that one. <laughs> but it's uh, it it was a thing. That's just what they used to do. And sure. there's no there's well, no. They used to, people it. would play people would play Othello. Yeah, uh, and they, they would black up yeah. for Othello. That was the it's, thing. It's what they did. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, and we wouldn't do that now, and we don't condone it. But I think in terms of looking at films of the product of their era. That's kind of what they they that that's what they used to do because you had these sure. great roles and so you want big name actors playing them, and that's just what they used to do. So yeah, Absolutely. so we have, we have Yellowface, uh, which also includes uh, Doctor No. Joseph Wiseman is sort of made up to look um, more Asian, uh, yes. and then he obviously was he was a Canadian actor. He was a Canadian actor, uh, although they they do say that he's um he's half Asian, like, like yeah. he's half Chinese, half, half Chinese, half German. So, yeah, so they sort of get around it that yeah. way. So they just kind of slick his hair back and give him kind of darker eyebrows. Um, uh, but yeah, some makeup, obviously. And he also like like he also where well, we again we're skipping ahead, but he he doesn't he could have done a silly voice and he doesn't, which is good, <laughs> I guess. Like he's. He's taking it seriously. No, he has a very clipped, neutral accent. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and we'll get to Dr. No, because that's on my list too. But in terms of then Honey Ryder, who is just the greatest, um, she is an innocent. She's a naive. I mean, she's not because she's killed people, but she's an innocent innocent bystander in what's happening on Crab Key. And so Bond treats her as this, she's innocent. He tries to get her to leave. Her boat is smashed up, so she can't. Uh, And then he keeps trying to say, get rid of the, you know, the girl's not important. Let's not, you know, have her here. And she's really not. And that's what really, that's what I found really interesting uh, about this is that uh, Sylvia Trench has nothing to do with the plot. She's just something that happened. She's a, a, a woman who James meets at the, who Bond meets at the start of the movie, has a dalliance with, and then goes on his mission. Yes. And then Honey Ryder kind of isn't involved, really. She just shows up at a bad time and then gets swept in with everything that's going on. Yeah, she's she's um, plot dressing, I guess. Yeah, like, like and well, she she's there because she's gorgeous, like an absolute, you know. Oh. Goddess, like holy crap, like like there's a, there's a reason that that shot of Ursula Andress coming out of the sea is iconic, and you know she's she yeah. looks amazing, but you know it's also it's interesting because yeah, you're right, she is she is a naive figure, and she's supposed to be relatively young, like she's supposed to be maybe like I think she was 25 or like mid 20s when she was playing this, and I think she was meant to be younger. Yeah, she's probably about 19, 20, something like that. Yeah, and. So she is a shell diver who's been like diving around Crab Key because I guess like the the good shells are there. Yes. But and there's they, also 
she escapes. She's she's clever enough. She was the daughter of a shell scientist or something, and uh, she's who disappeared and presumably like Doctor No killed. Yeah. So you know she's just kind of continuing on all she knows, which is to to that's how you get money is get. But shell. also it's weird too because um she shows up like an. Well over an hour and a half into the movie. Yeah, this is what a lot of people sort of forget. I I had totally forgotten this. I, I've seen Doctor No before, but it was again years ago, and I watched it. And I'm like, wait, so when does Ursula Andress show up? And it, it wasn't until he gets to the island and they spend the night on the island, and then mm. suddenly she's there in the morning, and it's like, we've got about thirty minutes left of this film. Like that's that's it. It's not the crazy. size. It's not the size of the parts, Jude. Pact you make. That's it, exactly. But I think, but that's the thing. She's she's this collateral um, uh, victim of all this, and mm. that's why Bond tries to get her off the island, and then he goes back for her when he goes to find her when he gets out and destroys the plant basically, and goes that's back it, to yeah. find her. So um, he's not, you know, this is the thing. He doesn't sexually take advantage of her. Um, before they meet with Dr. No or while they're in the jungle. No, he really doesn't, yeah. And he he takes a very protective Protective role role. over her and he feels that he's responsible for her, which was interesting because, I mean, you think of, you know, Bond films. I mean, like, he definitely, like, that they play it for laughs that he's, like, checking her out. Oh, yeah. And then when Quarrel... of course he is, but... Quarrel turns up and is like, hey, James, you know, and then he's like, what the hell? And then Felix Slider, when they turn up in the boat and she stands up and he's like, well, I see you don't need any help. Like this idea well, yeah. that Bond just attracts women. They come out of the sea for him. That's um, right, exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, but but that's where it sort of lost me because it's like I actually didn't – weirdly, I, I totally bought Sylvia Trench. I totally bought the, the, the secretary who turns out to be a spy – like I got those dalliances that that all made sense, but then the Honey Rider thing, like, okay, this is a young girl that you've found like running around on a on a beach where she shouldn't have been, and she's got swept up along with you, and then at the end he's like, oh, but obviously we're gonna have sex. It's like, well, hang on, what the hell? Like, what, what's going on? Why are you why are you letting the boat drive away and you're obviously gonna have boat sex now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> it just didn't make that 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 was the one uh, where I was like that doesn't make total sense it doesn't well, make total sense to me yeah I suppose that she had started to see him she had been going like no I want to stay with you I want to stay with you and there'd been mm. some sexual tension of because like she would she said to him do you have a woman of your own like quite shyly sort of do you have a woman yeah do you and, have a woman? She, she's yeah. very she's very like warrior woman in many ways isn't she like like a yeah. like a healer from Doctor Who sort of situation. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, she's elemental. She's come out of the ocean. She's literally well, yes, like yes, I guess Aphrodite with the shell. So she's not she's guileless. Um, yeah. Compared to compared to the sort of and again, there's there's arguments to be made about what this what what we draw. Uh, but to, and the thing is, she's supposed to be Jamaican, so she's obviously they they apparently put a lot of bronzer on her to make her more tan. <laughs> Oh God, did they? Um, yeah, I was. She's with, Swedish, isn't she? Like she's Swedish or Norwegian. She's about as far away from Jamaican as you can get. So they tanned her up a lot, right? And they overdubbed her voice because her voice, her own accent was too um, strongly. Oh, did they really? Swedish. Okay, yeah, I wasn't she's overdubbed. Oh, okay. She's overdubbed. Um, one for her speaking voice and one for her singing voice when she's singing underneath the mango tree. Uh, 
<laughs> Which is another thing I love about this film. I just love that song every time it comes up in the movie as a little yeah. leitmotif. And like, it, is a, it is a fun little run-up throughout the song, yeah. Um, so she is, uh, yeah, she's like the innocent. She's probably the youngest of all of the women, uh, but she's not useless and she's not... No, yeah, she seems strangely capable. Well, like I say, strangely, very, like she, for a Bond film, like the expectations you have going in, like. But but having said that, like Bond never really has like screaming damsels in distress. Like he usually has like the women who are in the films are usually capable this, in many ways. And, and this is Stu, why I am working on a one woman show called James Bond is a feminist. Change <laughs> my mind. <laughs> Because more often than not, and I, I note that um, the great, wonderful, amazing, and we'll get to her very soon, Anna Blackman, who played Pussy Galore, oh, oh yes, uh, she made a comment at some point in her life about how, you know, a lot of the Bond girls were bimbos and she was never a bimbo. A Pussy Galore was never a bimbo. Absolutely true. And, yes, there are bimbos in Bond. Mary Goodnight is the one who comes to mind most of all for me. And, but uh, – there, there, um, uh, Christmas, whatever the the Stu, yep. yes, yep. <laughs> She's also a nuclear scientist. Well, nuclear yes, physicist. I, I guess. Look, that's now, true. Yes, that's a long draw to you know. It's, it's, it's a, a long road to walk that. It's a long bow to draw, but the point is, she is still a capable scientist. That is very true. I, not, actually, I stand corrected. That she's is very not true. A kind of like there just for her looks. Um, yeah. So and and you know whereas. <laughs> Whereas one could argue that Mary Goodnight is dealt a really bad turn as being very, you know, very stupid uh, in The Man with the Golden Gun, which we'll get to. But, you know, more often... the ones I haven't seen. More often than not, I feel... Oh, you've never seen The Man with the Golden Gun? I've never seen The Man with the Golden Gun. I've seen clips. I've never seen the full movie. It's a cracker. Christopher Lee, Scatamanga. I can't wait. uh, Scatamanga. Hervé Villachez as Nicknack. And Nicknack, exactly. Like one of the great Bond uh, henchmen. Henchman, yes, he's fantastic. Uh, it's it's a it's not a great Bond, sure. but it has its moment. It has the craziest stunt, which is the car flip jump that you might have seen. Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the hilarious sound effect. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's got its moments. So anyway, we'll get to that. But more often than not, for me, women in the Bond universe are generally quite capable, and they often get Bond out of trouble. And in this film, Honey Ryder, because he's trying to get her to leave and then her boat's shot up, but she's the one to know that knows they've got to go through the water because otherwise mm. the dogs will track them. And then when there are people firing on them, she's the one who knows how to cut reeds to use them as snorkels to breathe through. So Bond um, and does she Does she do that? I thought that was Bond that did that. I wasn't? I, I thought it was her. I think I could... I could be misremembering, but I think that was Bond. I only watched it yesterday and I've forgotten. Anyway, point is She definitely she definitely tells the tries to throw the dogs off the scent by going in the water, that sort of thing. She knows a bit about survive like escaping them yeah. because she's been chased before. So she's resourceful is what I'm saying. Hmm. So and and that's the thing. She's not just like a dumb broad bond has to protect. She's a you know, resourceful young shellfisher who gets caught up in this thing who unfortunately gets put into chains at the end. <laughs> That, that classic character type, a resourceful young shellfisher. Resourceful young shellfisher. Have we not all in our life been resourceful young shellfish? Uh, so, yes. So that's that's the the fun uh, of her, her character and of a lot of the female characters, of which I will continue sure. to defend, probably no. in the face of indefensibility. Indefensib- well, look, as the series goes on, I think that's going to become 
harder and then easier and then yeah. maybe harder again but <laughs> we'll see but it um it goes it comes and it goes it was just, it was something that i noticed was, was that you just, know well, just off your first point Stu. Yeah. so we <laughs> well uh, second point second point i'm about to hit my third okay so so uh the, the other the, the other thing was obviously uh the incredible theme song uh but the way that it is used in this movie is fascinating because we obviously think of the Bond theme as like an action theme. Like it's, it's the, the theme music to like an, an action chase, you know, like something massive happens. You know, it all, it all happens. Like someone's jumping a, a motorcycle over a bridge or, you know, there's a massive fist fight happening or someone's flying a plane through a fireball, like something huge and, and amazing is happening in this movie. It is used as theme music whenever Bond walks across a room. Yes. Right, like it's just like he will enter a room and it'll be <laughs> did it, did it, did it, and and it'll be Sean Connery very calmly just walking across. At one point, he he does a little bit of spy craft by like putting a hair across the door of the the room, and that that's sc- scored to the Bond theme. Like it is insane as a viewer in 2020 watching that, just going, what the hell is going on? Yes, like, exactly. He's in, the, he's in the airport. He walks across the airport and picks up a telephone. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's adding energy to these scenes that were fairly standard. And that goes to, just to jump in, um, with my, my second point, uh, is more slower-paced, a detective spy thriller yes. than action. Um, and it's really the um, it, 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 it's it's it, you know it, it's very well, much he's a spy. He's a spy to, oh, in this his movie. His parents. He's got to go to Jamaica to find yeah. out what happened to this other agent. He's got to interview people. He's got to go network. He's got to go. There's a lot of spycraft. There's a uh, lot of spycraft in this movie. Whereas like uh, much of the later Bond films become all about the gadgets and the pretty women and 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 the the explosions, and in this movie, he's being a spy. It's actually yeah. really interesting. It's just doing intelligence grunt work on the ground. Yeah. Like, uh, not all of it is interesting to watch, but he's he's doing the work. But the thing is, I found it interesting because it's so – it's just, like, the, the shots of him when he goes to interview Quarrel, and Quarrel's like, uh, i got to go. Um, no, I'm not hiring out this boat. It's all good. <laughs> Uh, see you later. And Bond just kind of calmly walks around, following him from a distance, and then meets him at the bar again. And then you realise that it's all just been a big ploy. So Felix yeah. can work out if if James Bond is is really uh, on the right side. And that was it's just that lovely little bit of competing spies checking each other out. Yeah. yeah. And then they agree, oh, we'll work together. And and Bond, who's just punched Quarrel out, is like, I'm sorry. I hope there's no, no hard feelings. No hard feelings, I oh, hope. Just to my short cheek, you know, as <laughs> to where you punch me or you flipped him with his hand or something. <laughs> no, not the back out of his hand. And, and I, it's like, I did I like that. Sorry, you go. You go. No, I was just going to say, I, I love that that uh, kind of banter of is they're, they're drawing your attention to, oh, is Quarrel mysterious? And then. Whoops, like they've already set up Felix Leiter. And I always forget that I know that that's Felix Leiter because I know that's Felix Leiter. Sure, yeah, yeah. When you were watching the film, you would have been going, well, who are they? Who's that guy, and, yeah. But they've already planted that Felix Leiter is 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 on the case. M mm. told him. 
about him, but then you actually meet and you say, oh, I'm Felix Leiter. Oh, okay, they, they're, they're, you know, allies. Um, and I like that that film did this and it kind of it kind of unfurls itself. But we go for what this film has is rather than big explosions and stuff, there's a lot of, like, low-key death moments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a big explosion at the end in what is actually a very impressive model shot, I imagine. Oh, um, I mean, what I mean is in, in Bond films now, you'd probably have a bomb going off somewhere or a gunfight or sure. a, you know, yeah. th- there's more of those. Every seven minutes, there's got to be an action scene, mm. uh, that kind of thing, whereas this is more uh, Bond, you know, he's with that chauffeur who he knows is dodgy. And then he stops that guy, manages to trick him, but then that guy swallows a cyanide capsule. Um, <laughs> there's Bond. Is that the first time that, that that was that was a thing in like spy novels and spy comics and movies and things? The cyanide capsule, wasn't what? it? Like, in like life, it was a thing in real life. I went to oh, the spy sure, sure, but but I mean, like so many things. I'm sitting there wondering, like, and I I hadn't really researched it at all, but I was like, is that where the trope comes from? That that like. You know, oh, I'm I'm gonna interrogate you in a second. Oh, wait, he swallowed cyanide. Ah. I think it um predates that. I think it's like right. a World War Two thing because like Goering munched down on some cyanide that someone smuggled to him before he could get hanged at, at Nuremberg. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, so I think I think the old cyanide pill is probably something that's already in the in the knowledge base of spy stuff. Um, but I do love the way that it was in a cigarette and that they're smelling it. He smells it. So he's obviously smelled the, the almond smell of cyanide. Just little yeah. detail. There's just a lo- lots of lovely little details of investigation. Yeah, yeah. Lo- lo- you know? and, and a lot of a lot of the, the movie, like, going through the, the motions of that work, you know, like in a to, – to varying levels of interest, you know, on my behalf, and, and I'll, I'll put up with a lot, but – like, like, I do find it fascinating, even in the ones that were sort of like, come on, man, Jesus Christ, let's get to the next thing. Like, it definitely is, it's definitely, like, the movie putting in the work. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like yeah. it just, it's fascinating because because later Bond films will not do that. Later Bond films are very much like action movies. Yes. And, and this is a spy movie. And it's a very different thing. It's yes. funny to think of that. Like the the James Bond films actually eventually stop being spy movies, but they do. They they really do. Yeah. And, and this is a spy movie. It's fast. It's fascinating. I really love it. Um, on that theme, and the final thing on my list, and we can get to, we can jump to yours then. Um, no gadgets. Um, no. He, get, he gets his his famous Walther PPK at the at the start, and there's a big thing, which means there's no uh there's no Q in this one. There's um there's a different there is, guy. There is Q. That well, man, that, Q. That's Q. That's the quartermaster. Oh, okay. It's just he wasn't available for the second film, so they got Desmond Llewellyn. So they got Desmond Llewellyn, who becomes Q forever, forever. Until, until he can't <laughs> be it anymore. Um, wow. Okay, so was that was that meant to be Q? Q? He, like that just, was. Yeah, it's meant to be Q. He's called the armorer, but yeah, yeah, that is that is Q essentially. But he just sort of comes in. It's so devoid. Like, like Desmond Llewellyn. And also, like, that whole scene is supposed to be at three in the morning with M. Yeah, and they're just in the office at three in the morning, and the armor is standing outside <laughs> at three a.m. And they have like a, a weird conversation about how like James Bond usually uses a Beretta, and how that's he insinuates that's a chick's gun, dude. Like you want something that's a bit better than that. 
And Bond's like, oh, it's always served me well in the past. Uh. Yeah, and then he tries to nick off with it. He tries to leave. He's like, I'll probably take it anyway. And then he's like, no, 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 no. We're and, not gonna... But what I love is that that's called back to later at dinner with Dr. No, where Bond makes a big distraction to try and steal a table knife. Mm. Dr. No is on him going, I'm not a fool. Don't treat me like one. Put back the knife. Yes. I was like, oh, I've got to try. And it's like Bond is shit with his sleight of hand, obviously. Yeah, he's just not very good. He's constantly getting called on, like, trying to trick people into well, thinking he's, he's... He's really obvious with it. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, all things considered, James Bond is a pretty terrible spy. So, Aww. you know, like, certainly he, he's probably, like, thinking, of, thinking forward to what we're going to... Uh, hit in various movies that in the in the future like in this film he's probably at his best and he's still getting like caught palming things yeah you know so in many ways like he's he's not a great spy (laughs) 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 i mean the old joke is he goes around telling everyone who he is which is you know probably point number one against you right there but no but that's the whole point like the whole point of james bond and why ian fleming chose the name james bond which of course famously uh ian fleming was a bird watcher and there was this book that he had uh uh, this ornithologist dr james bond yeah and that's why he named his character that because he wanted a name that was very simple very unobtrusive not flashy well i think he he famously said it was was the most boring name he'd ever heard so he 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 used james bond i just i don't i don't and the thing is is that it's so magical to me Yes, just, no, no, that's right. Just the name James, like, and the way people go, oh, James. Oh, like, James. Like, you can't do that with Michael or Daniel or John or... Well, John. And yet, I mean, the thing John, is, that, that, that's the, that's the wonderful magic of it, is that yeah. if you've been called Michael Bond, yeah. you know, we, we'd think, oh, Michael, you know, that would be maybe, the thing. Maybe we would, but I don't know. James is just, I still, I love the name James. It does have, I mean, uh, James Bond has a nice cadence to it. Yeah, it's and, and when he says he's Bond, James Bond. S of James is, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's so I don't know, it's just a, such a wonderful name, and I um, it's funny just as one of the things when I was growing up and people would say to me because I love James Bond and whatnot, and people go, oh, do you, you want to be a Bond girl? And I always go, no, I want to be Bond. Yes, like, and yeah, that's, exactly. And that's to me where. You know, it's it's all very well to go, oh, James Bond treats women badly and it's a bad role model. It's like, well, I'm a woman and I was utterly inspired by James Bond. Hmm. Um, I don't want to have sex with James. I mean, look, yes, I would. Um, but the point is, it's like, oh, I want to be Bond. I want to have that, like, that power and that energy and that um, grit and that slyness and that, you know, ease through society. And, you know, that's what I want. And so, like, James is the you know, the embodiment of that, you know, it's very, it's a great name. Uh, anyway, well, let me, I'll continue with, on that theme with my list. Yes. Because my next point was how sexy is Sean? Well, he was, he was a bodybuilder or, or like a, uh, like he, a. Yeah. He won a Mr. Universe or a Mr. Mr. UK. He won yeah. some famous yeah, bodybuilder yeah. competition. And then that's kind of how he segued into acting, I think. Mm. But he was quite, um. Uh, a common Scotsman, I suppose you might say, or at least he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't posh. Um, so I'm I'm just looking up the bit here because I've I've read this before and it's in the um, it's in the Wikipedia article about this. 
is um, so Connery was invited to meet Broccoli and Salzman and appeared in a scruffy and unpressed clothes. But Connery put on an act and it paid off as he acted in the meeting with a macho devil-may-care attitude. When he left, both Saltzman and Broccoli watched him through the window as he went to his car, agreeing he was the right man for Bond. And the way that I've heard them describe him, I think, I'm sure this is a quote, is that, like, he had this walk like a tiger, like he had, like, a prowl. Yes, like yeah, a I've heard that before. He had a walk and like a panther. Like so after Connery was chosen, Terence Young, the director, took the actor to his tailor and his hairdresser and introduced him to the high life, restaurants, casinos and women of London. In the words of Bond writer Raymond Benson, Young educated the actor in the ways of being dapper, witty and above all cool. So I think uh, that was Now, the, those high-waisted pants would beg to differ, but that's... <laughs> That's, no, the, that's 2020 eyes. That's 2020 eyes. Oh, they're so of the time. I don't know. Oh, I was really watching are. him just going, they're so high. It's funny because when, he, when he's got his coat done up, he looks like suave as hell. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like it's, just, yeah. it's just the way they used to cut suits where it yeah. was – you think of you think of those 60s suits as being quite form-fitting, but actually they, they, were, they had a lot of give to them and they they were made out of these really light materials so you could just wear them – all day, it was just like your day clothes. It wasn't like getting dressed up. It was just what people wore. Mm. And so you had these, these this jacket and the tie, and he it just fits him like he's and he's and he's there. And then he takes the jacket off, and he's got these pants that are at his armpits, <laughs> and it just completely kills it for some reason. Like it just something about it. It's like man, that just yes. it's so weird. It is funny how we both noticed that. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. His <laughs> pants are super high. I, they can't be that high, like, again. It must be a, a, a holdover from, like, 50s fashion, surely. Yeah, look, it must be. Um, but the other thing that I want to say about his colours in this film is he wears a lot of blue. Yes, um, he does. I love, I love the – is it like, like a Terry Towling um, – Yes, Sort of oh, uh, polo that he's... Uh, the, the, the most iconic Terry Towling comes in Goldfinger, so don't oh, yes, miss yes, the yes, Terry no, Towling. I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that outfit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just when he's on the island, he's in like a blue polo neck with matching blue pants. Well, it's there for he the wears boat. a lot of blue shirts with blue navy ties. Yeah, he's got like a grey um, blue suit that he's wearing usually. Yeah, that's right. So he's very... He's, he's blue, da-boo-dee, Um <laughs> And it's just not what we sort of associate now with Bond probably wearing if we were to put Bond in those uh, kind of positions. Um, oh, really? But I don't know. I could see Daniel Craig rocking that combo that he he wears to the to the island. Oh well, Daniel Craig was in his tiny little short shorts when he oh, was that, in a beach in Casino Royale, <laughs> and they were blue. They were blue. That's a good point. They were yeah, blue. Yeah. Probably probably deliberately. It was probably a callback. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, there's nothing, I think we're going to hit a period in sort of the late 70s, early 80s that we we, we hit some real fashion disasters. Oh, uh, the Roger Moore era oh is <laughs> Do you like, <laughs> Stu, do you like a tan slack with a navy blue blazer? Do I? Then live and let die <laughs> is for you. Oh, boy. I can't uh, wait, I can't wait is, for that. Sean Connery has his shirt off a fair bit in this film. Um, he which does have been a bit of eye candy himself, yeah. Yeah, but the thing he's, is... Um, he's 32 in this film. Now... <sighs> 32, can you believe that? I think he looks older. He looks way older. He looks so much older. But then is that just... 
it's so bizarre to me when I look at and I'm like, oh, but that's Bond. Bond is always to me. I think in the novels he's supposed to be about 37, 38. Yeah, he's um, supposed to be. He's supposed to be slightly older, like starting to be maybe a bit too old for the sort of work that he's doing. Well, he went through the war. Now the Bond mm. books came out in the fifties, so yes. you can kind of imagine someone who was maybe in his twenties during the war, and then in his thirties he's become a spy. Sure. Um, but then we're, now we're into sort of the, into the sixties as the films go through. Mm. But look, if we if we start down the road of how old is Bond, we'll never. Oh man. We'll just this this kill insane tangled web that happens. But, but I mean, having said that, like like this 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 movie definitely he looks way older than thirty two. Like like uh, Sean Connery was apparently thirty two when you filmed this. Yeah. Um, but and that's when insane. When he comes back, when he comes back in Diamonds Are Forever, he wears a hairpiece. Oh yes, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can see in this in this movie he's already starting to sort of it, it's going yeah. back. But he's so sexy, Stu. I'm so, like, I've just pulled up on on Google Images the shot of him like on the island with his shirt off, just in the blue pants, and he's got like the hairy chest with kind of the snail oh, trail. Lord. Yeah, yeah. You don't, he, you don't have to you don't have to justify it to me. I get it. I, he's I, like I totally muscular. Understand. He's muscular, but he's not ripped. Like he's not beefcake. Yeah. He's just which is insane because apparently he's winning like bodybuilding competitions. Um, but you know apparently that was completely like jacked back then. But that, that was like superhero level. Thing. It's a different. It's not Arnie level of bodybuilding. No, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. He's like he's a tall guy, and he's just what they would call powerfully built. You see, so when in his in his suit, he just looks very polished, and he fills out a suit. But he certainly he, does. Like he wears yeah. a suit very well, and yeah, he wears I, a he wears a, a chino and a polo shirt uh, combo very well as well. I've I've read that Terence Young, that director, because they said he he took him to his tailors. He made him sleep in suits and tuxedos until he got so he used, got used to, to wearing them. Yeah, yeah, it just looked like a second skin, and that's <laughs> that's some good directoral work there. Yeah, absolutely. Like imagine being Sean Connery being taught how to be Bond. Yeah, I, I do. Just as a quick aside, quick tangent. Uh, he's in his late eighties now, I think. Sean Connery, and, yeah, and, and uh, he's not yeah. been active. He's not been sort of seen for a long time. And as as I understand, I'm sure I read this somewhere. He's got uh, dementia of some sort. Well, yeah, I think I think the the that, that's not been confirmed anywhere, but certainly the the suggestion is that yeah, the reason we haven't seen him on screen is uh, that. Yeah, he's probably he's well, he's an old man and and uh, he retired um he retired after uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was yes. his final movie. Can yes. you believe that? Because now, why did he do that movie? Because he turned down the Matrix. He, he turned was down, well, to he be, turned down he turned down the Matrix. He was going he was to be Morpheus. Morpheus. That that was the version of the Matrix that would have had Will Smith as Neo and <laughs> and. Sean Connery as Morpheus. So just picture that in your mind for a second. The, I can't the way picture it. I can I can picture it. You yeah. you see you see how it would have gone. Like it would have been an extremely different movie. Um, but you see how that would have turned out. It kind, you know? I guess it would have had a similar to Men in Black sort of. Well, exactly. I, what I always say is like we would have had a Will Smith Matrix rap. Like there, <laughs> there would have been the the end credits Will Smith rap at the end of that movie. You know? Now get out the guitar and give me some good licks as I take you into the hell of the Matrix. <laughs> Will Smith. Uh, I don't know. I, I can come up with on uh, 
Very short notice. But maybe that's a challenge for me. Write the Will Smith Matrix rap. The Will Smith, the Will Smith Matrix rap. To um, the tune of Men in Black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so then – Let me make a note. So, I've got to make a note. Will Smith Matrix. Will Smith Matrix rap. Uh, that'll, that'll be insane when you look at it in the morning and can't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> um, so – that was his. That he turned that one down. Then he was offered Lord of the Rings, and he was going to be Gandalf. He was going to be Rings. Gandalf. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he was fan. He was fan casting. Like like people always said. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that it's it's slightly apocryphal. He might have also been offered Saruman, as well. And I think he ended up just saying no. I don't get it. He read the scripts. He wasn't happy with it. He was like no no. And so the Matrix was huge. Like the Matrix blew up. It was this massive cultural phenomenon. The yeah. Lord of the Rings. Blew up, massive cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Um, so I mean, then, you can imagine him saying, "You shall not pass." You know, you shall he, not pass. I you know, see that. You know, it would have been, it would have been interesting. It would have been very different because, like, Ian McKellen just nails that, oh, that role. So incredible. But it would have been different because it wouldn't have been like the, you know, uh, classically like Shakespearean trained person. It would have been Sean Connery doing Sean Connery like he always does. Um, but it would have been interesting. Uh, it would have been really, and so then the the final uh, thing that happens is he gets this script, uh, and he's like, yes, he tells his agent, yes, just say yes, whatever, whatever the next one that comes through a big franchise, I'll do that, and it ends up being League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is just a very, which is a very good comic uh, by Alan Moore and Dave and uh, Dave Gibbons, and it, uh, oh sorry, by uh, uh, Kevin O'Neill, and is a terrible film just just awful i remember not minding it it's very bad it's it's not good and it uh moments doesn't it what's it stuart townsend as dorian gray going i'm complicated or stuff like that yeah and and it kind of it it builds on it builds on the comic in interesting ways but also like completely ruins a lot of very cool things it's very of its time uh, if you if you've never gone back and had a look at it, it's very of its time. Mm. Um, and so you you want to talk about a movie that's of its time? It's a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, but then so it's a it's a bomb like like it gets completely trashed and Sean Connery is like right I'm done. <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the one where he's like I don't understand. He he I think he said in interviews I don't understand films anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was like I don't get I I thought I knew how this business worked and I just don't get it anymore. So I'm just I'm just piecing out. Yeah, I, I don't need to work. I mean, he's a multimillionaire at this point. You know, he doesn't need to work, so it's like, yeah. well, I'm an old man. I'll just, I'll just retire to my estate and <laughs> uh, you know live my life. And he's been doing that ever since. And he, you know, good luck to him. Uh, yeah, because the other thing that I remember about Sean Connery is that he, or reading about him, is that when Diane Chalento, who was his um, first wife, she released a memoir. Uh, and and uh, it causes a lot of bad sort of some stuff bad stuff about Sean's similarly sure. that they had often a uh, what you would call a volatile marriage, and so he I think it was his son who maybe said this is like he decided he was going to sit down and kind of set the record straight and write his own autobiography, oh. but he sat down and he would sit there and just go I can't bloody remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow like he just but the thing is i don't know if that points to dementia or if that just points like to like for me 
if someone was, you know how sometimes people talk about, oh, I remember in, uh, you know, this year of university we did this and do you remember? And I've got friends who remember yeah. impro shows that we did or scenes or characters that I did and I'm like, yeah. I have no recollection of that at all. No recollection of that whatsoever. What I happened? totally get that, yeah. <laughs> so... Because at the moment I'm, I'm working on a project um, trying to pull together a whole bunch of old photos of different performances and stuff, and I'm looking at photos going, I have no recollection of this at all. Yeah. Or I remember that this show existed, but I could not tell you the plot. I could not tell you the, <laughs> what I did. Like, you know. <laughs> so I get maybe it's just recall, but I suspect that he probably just um, maybe has a, a bad memory. Uh, but, yeah, maybe given his – because can you imagine how good it would be if he came back – and you know, made an appearance somewhere. He's well, he was going. They, they left room for him in, in Skyfall. Uh, the, the 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 caretaker character was going to be Sean Connery. Oh. Yeah. I don't know how I would have felt about that. No, it would have been weird. I'm glad it didn't happen in the end. Yeah. Because um, they left room for him. They're like, you, you can. We, we've written this part, and you. It, it's a it's a substantial part. Like it's not. You know, it's not. He's not there the whole time but it's just this this little part but it's substantial and you you're the caretaker of the bond estate you know and it's like you could come back and he, he basically politely declined he's like no i'm not i'm not going to do that uh and i'm kind of glad he didn't because yeah mm. it would have been very strange but that 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 obviously is uh a part that was left open for him just in case and that he was like no thank you yeah but he's just so charismatic on screen he just and look maybe it's just me layering on my, all my own stuff um but <laughs> what can i tell you i like a dark brooding uh oh look you know i mean like, like he's a very, he's a very attractive man like you know, i'm not i'm not i'm not arguing the the toss he's, with that it's it's absolutely when he's like as you pointed out with money penny when he's kind of like sitting with her on the chair and they're pretending to dance and he's leaning his head against hers and he's got these dimples <laughs> and you're just like oh bring back workplace harassment if you're gonna get <laughs> harassed like that again i say these things i don't mean them mm -hmm. or do i I'm a problematic person, Stu. I think we've all, yes. <laughs> I think we've all, you know, let's put this podcast under the general problematic umbrella. But I think, um, yeah, the 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 Universal Exports uh, front facing reception team, and they yes. even, I think they even kind of joke about that in um, GoldenEye because GoldenEye was the whole bond in the 90s, and women have jobs now, and M's a woman, and you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I think they even have jokes about that with Money Penny. I think she makes jokes about uh, him being inappropriate or something. But yeah, it's like it's it's quite, to me it's a lovely affectionate friendship uh, where you know she's she's so ob she goes he says what 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 will you what does she say to him? Uh, oh, she, she says something like you know you never take me uh, I, I'd go if you asked yeah. me or something like that like yeah. she she it's not subtext she yeah. tells him. She's like, she hey, absolutely. I'm <laughs> Let's go right now. And then M has to tell Money Penny, like, please put it back in your, put it back in your pants, Money Penny. <laughs> like she really, she really does. Like, like it's not, it's not subtext that they, they clearly are super into each other. Yeah, it's so. It's good. very, and in a way that's very charming. Like it's, it's just, yeah. He's not that into her because he never consummates. No, no, certainly not in the in the original incarnation did, did, and do they end up sleeping together 
in the no. later one? No, and I this is why I hate the way that they dealt with Money Penny in the Bond in Skyfall. Yeah. Oh, hate it. Hate it. <laughs> hate it so much. Oh, I never learnt your last name. Oh, it's Money Penny. Oh, for fuck's sake. Sorry, I just really <laughs> So she was a she was a spy who was out in the field but just got spooked. But she's empowered. She's not just a secretary. It's like it's no shame to be a fucking organizational assistant assistant to the head of MI fucking five. Yeah, it's it's that weird I, thing where where you, you try I, to. I always get confused. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, I think it starts out as MI six and then it becomes MI five, doesn't it? I, I can't even remember. I'm just gonna look that up. <laughs> James Bond. I know. By the time by the time we hit like Spyfall, uh, Skyfall rather, um, it uh, it's definitely MI5, but I think it's MI6, which doesn't exist or it's not a spy agency, apparently officially. Um, yeah, MI6. Yeah. In this movie, but I think by the time you get to Skyfall, they, they've they've just turned it into actual real life MI5. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, point is. It's no shame to be a, a, a high up a high up there, you know, admin person running, you know, M's diary and running operations and shit. That's not a. Ugh. Sure. No. No. Absolutely. Like, and oh, only and, and yeah, it's one of those things where they try to they try to fix something that isn't broken and yeah. they end up breaking it even worse than they than they tried to. And it's like he would know her name. They would yeah. be they're in a operation together. Yes. He wouldn't just be ignorant of her surname. No, yeah, that's that's something that's there purely for. Oh. But that's that's a Skyfall conversation. Purely for like a reveal and. <laughs> ugh, sorry, that some of those decisions in the Daniel Craig Bonds just get me really riled up. Really riled up. Don't get me started on Spectre. The the new one better be good, Stu, or I'm going to protest. I'm I'm never going to not support the Bond films, but at the same time. Pretty angry at Spectre. Pretty angry. Spectre uh, was that. pretty bad. Now let's talk about Spectre. Spectre <laughs> is brought up in this film. Yes, it is. Yes, I, I, I actually, I, I completely forgot that they did that like straight out of the gate. Yeah, they really set up Spectre as the big bad. Um, Spectre has a ridiculous name, doesn't it? Like uh, the best Jew. <laughs> And this, and this, look, this what is otherwise me. a very grounded movie. Like, like, it's a very grounded movie in many ways. There are only gadgets. There are only crazy stuff. He's a spy. He's doing spy stuff. And then yeah. it's like, I am a half Chinese person with no yeah, hands no. and strange, strange claws. <laughs> and uh, I'm a member of a terrorist organization called Spectre. And yeah. I have an underwater base. This is my point, Stu. This is, it's a, it's a detective movie. Until they get out to the island and, and then it it's bizarre shit. Well, it becomes a Bond film at it that point. It becomes a Bond film. That's what's really interesting. Villain. It's fascinating, actually. It's a spy movie that becomes a Bond film. And then and then you've got the the they're in the swamp. They're being hunted down by the dragon tank. And then mm. all of a sudden, they're taken into custody, put through the the de, the, the contamination unit, and then treated like rock stars. Like by very friendly, you know, nurses who are like, "Oh, you poor things, you've been through the ringer. Here, have a nice cup of tea. We've got some clothes for the you." Point of all that, ah. by the way, was it just to be weird? It's dick swinging, Stu. Right. Okay. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Doctor No's dick swinging, and if I can yeah. bring that back to Doctor No, Doctor No equals Doctor Evil. 
Uh, oh yes. Oh God. Really I, I was surprised by how much he he did remind me of Doctor Evil because obviously Blofeld is the is the inspiration for Doctor Evil. But only because of the bald head and the scar on the face. That's the Donald Pleasant. And and, and the and the clothes like the high the high necked. Clothes. But he's wearing that in this film. That's true, exactly, and that that's what sort of threw me. I'm like, oh wow, this is kind of the thing for Doctor Evil as well. And what is Doctor No's first thing that? Well, we don't. And this is the great thing that I think they pace Doctor Neil Doctor No's reveal really well. You first see him, encounter him as a voice. Yes. With Professor Dent, the uh, geologist who's been you know doing dodgy samples, mm. uh, and he gives him the spider to go attack Bond with. Um, that's a good Bond element, the over-the-top crazy death. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, oh, we, we can't just shoot him, you know, which they parody in Austin Powers. It's like, let's just shoot him in the face. It's like, no, 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 let's put a spider <laughs> under his bed sheet. Um, I, do like, I do like, though, that later on the professor is like, okay, I will just go shoot him. Yes, that's right. The spider didn't work. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, uh, yeah, so that's that's the element. And then you see him when Bond is passed out in the lair. Yes. He walks in, you see his hands for the first time. Yes. And then the first thing you hear him say when when he when you see him his face and the first thing he says is one million dollars. Yes, he does too. And I hadn't even thought of that. Such a Doctor Evil. That's Doctor e- you know, one million dollars. Yes. It's so Doctor Evil. Um and the, the the whole backstory element, you know, I'm the son of a Chinese peasant. Yes, yeah, as soon as you started talking like that, I'm like, oh my god, that's that that's that Doctor Evil monologue. Yeah. Jesus and, Christ. And that's, and that's why I really want to point out that that Doctor e, Doctor Evil is as much Doctor No as he is Blofeld. Sure. And yes. uh, let's not, you know, deny. Well, with Dr. just no. a just a little bit of um. Oh God, his name's jumped out of my head, but um. Uh, uh, the the Saturday Night Live producer, uh, the famous famous one. God damn it, I can't. <laughs> the, the name jumped out of my head as soon as I saw. Oh, talking. Lorne Michael. Uh, Lorne Michaels, yeah, 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 just a little bit of Lorne Michaels in there. It, it, it's a, the the voice is a apparently a spot on Lorne Michaels impression. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know what, yeah. Scott? <laughs> okay, fine. You go do that. Um. But yes, it's uh, it's just it it becomes huge. Then it become the scale becomes big. And the irony is, they had only a million dollars to make this film, so they had yes. to scrounge. So you know how he's got that big aquarium, like he he's he's got the um the giant fish, mm. uh, and it's like oh, well, but that was that was a that was a projection screen or something, wasn't it? Yeah, like, that was a projection yeah. screen. They they could only afford uh footage of goldfish that was the only thing they could afford to buy like the stock footage that was the only stock footage they could afford to buy was of goldfish so they magnified it and then, and then came up with a line reason. wrote in a line to go oh it's the magnification of the of of the the the, the glass i designed it myself <laughs> <laughs> so like pulling they were pulling shit out of their ass to kind of make this base but, they, but you know what like the thing is like that line has like thematic resonance like that yeah. it wasn't it wasn't just table setting like they made it work. they made it work because he says you you're still just a, a minnow playing at wales yes you know, he yes. as bond tries to rile him up 
which is so good. It's such a great where Bond's all like, you know, hey, no, I bet you're just an idiot. And he's like, you're all bluster, Mr. Bond. Like he's got <laughs> such control over his emotions. It's so great. So Constantly great. Constantly you keep trying to test me, Mr. Bond. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were a man that I could respect. I even thought there'd be a place for you in Spectre. <laughs> so good though especially uh, it was very good that was delightful terrorism revenge and extortion extortion uh. Uh. <laughs> but you never resolve they never resolve what specter is just that he works but it it, it sets right. up it sets up this interesting dynamic of he's like well if you know with your mindless disregard for life you must be working for the east take that commie russia <laughs> um and he's like, east, west, just points on a compass, you know. And this this lovely, he works for Spectre. So they knew they were making a series, which is one of the reasons why they got Sean Connery, sure. because he was, you know, uh, you know, not super famous. So he'd be happy to sign up for a, a series of films. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, you know, it, lovely, it sets up Spectre, which is to come in from Russia with love. Uh so we talked about the other point I made, Honey Rider, not a bimbo workplace, um, high-waisted pants. Uh, and, yeah, so that, that's all the points. That <laughs> that's all the points. Um, um, but any other take, there were definitely a few things in this that I meant to write down and go, okay, it's a well-prepared podcast. I was like, oh, what about that bit? And what about that bit? But um, – <laughs> We've mostly talked through some of my favourite bits or most of my favourite bits yeah. about the film. Uh, why am I making that sound? I'm not um, sure. Oh, I was just about to say that. That's... Sorry. So, the, the, so Bond escapes. I just want to talk about the, the finale where Bond beats Dr. No and, sure, and yeah, drowns yeah. him in. Um... So the other thing about Dr. No and the other thing that is often – uh, tied to not just the Bond films but a lot of films is disability or handicap as a pointer to evil. Yes, yes. It has or, that in common with Disney movies. Or badness. Yes, that's right. Um, but I do – People I think who that, are ugly are evil. Well, that is something that the Bond films are famous for is that there is something – the villains have a physical manifestation of of – which again, I don't. That sounds problematic, even just saying it. But like, there's there's uh, deformity on the outside, and I mean that in bunny mirrors. Uh, mirrors an internal deformity, but that's right. Yeah, but, you're, you're right. It is again super problematic. Uh, but not denying but, it. Not yes. denying it. No, it is an element of the films. Yes. But also for Doctor No, it's not a born handicap, and I think a lot of the villains, I think it's a acquired. Status. So yes. his hand, yeah. he's a scientist who's been working on nuclear reactor for bad reasons and he's lost his hands through that work. Yes. So I'm not trying to justify. No, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. I am a little. But it's like he, his hubris of thinking he can control all these elements have removed his uh, flesh hands so he has replaced them with superior metal hands. But – in the end, they are useless for uh, he cannot grip onto the gangway, the gang tree that That's Bond right. is able to, to sort of kick him down and then escape, jump up, but he can't grip, you know. So <laughs> think about that. Metal hands might not be as powerful as you thought, even Indeed. though they crush it. Um, there's another little 
there's another little fun Easter egg that it totally escapes us now. But in the movie, when they go to dinner, they get given a drink and, and he says, we shall eat now. And Bond is last. He sort of he climbs up some stairs because it's like a split, you know, there's a sunken lounge pit and whatnot. Yeah, there sure and is. He stops to look at a painting. Oh, yeah. So he stops and he looks at this painting of like a man in uniform and sort of does a double take and then goes up the up the ladder. Now, that's a reference to a painting called a portrait of the Duke of Wellington, which was actually stolen at the time and had been in the news. As oh. So they're making a very funny in-joke about a piece of stolen art that, oh, that's what's happened, Dr. No has it. Right, okay. So that's quite a topical reference. That's a topical reference for the for time. 1962. Sure. <laughs> Not so much for us here and now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it was uh, – I thought that was worth um, – pointing out and he apparently the art designer got the copy got a copy from the british museum uh, so he could do a painting copy of it to put it in the set like he right had okay it all done um and then the other thing that i always remember about this film when i watch it is that the whole point what dr no is trying to do is disrupt cape canaveral moonshots that they're so America is trying to yes. Do, so they're this just, is pre moonwalk. This is pre moonwalk, and M even references it like, oh, they're planning, they're trying to get to the moon, and this is going to interfere with all this testing and pre flights and moon. So this was like cutting edge at the time. Yeah, and and this is the thing about Bond that I do want to like historically Bond has always been uh, just ahead or just on where technology is, and if you look yeah. ahead to Moonraker. Moonraker is all about shuttles going up into space. Sure. And that was when the shuttle program was brand new or yes. just about to start happening or had just started happening or something like that. So that was cutting edge, this idea of a, a shuttle into space as opposed to a um, tiny little Apollo-style <laughs> moon lander thing. This is, this is your defense of Moonraker in advance. I'll defend Moonraker. <laughs> I have, again... I Probably haven't seen Moonraker badly. for many years, since I was a kid, I think. Moonraker, so, Moonraker, I think, has, like, peak in-jokes and parody references. Yes. Um, so <laughs> many parody references. It's like a Lawrence of Arabia. I, I mean, like, like they, they bring you know, back bring, Jaws for that one, right? Like. Yeah. He came back by popular demand. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey... Way to be the person who's so popular they bring you back for a Bond movie. That's like, true. That's true. Way to be a Bond henchman who can come back and isn't, like, dispatched at the end of the film. Yeah. Well, they just saw him swimming off, and I wonder if they had him killed, but then the audiences maybe it tested badly, so they just had a shot of him, like, mm. swimming away. <laughs> but also he's Jaws, so he's pretty indestructible. That's true. That's like, true. they literally had to send him into space and blow up a space station to get rid of him. Well, he, doesn't, he doesn't die in that, does he? Well, he's on the space station as it's being – it's all crumbling down and he meets the cute girl in Moonraker. Yeah, yeah. And then they have a bottle of wine and here's, go, here's well, to us. Love, yeah, here's to <laughs> us. One implies that they, they probably don't survive for much longer. Fair enough. Okay. I don't even know that, that Jaws could chew his way out of the vast vacuum of space. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could be wrong. I'd like to Oh, uh, It's funny to think about this movie and then think forward to how ridiculous this series gets. Like, because yeah. it, it, it gets full on wacky, like in a way that I, I adore and I, I think yeah. I'm going to have a lot of fun in those in those middle sort of stretch of movies around the, the later Mo Roger Moore era. Yeah. But 
like this this series gets real wacky before they wa- they reel it back in. Yeah, it's so possibly it's, too far. But I think maybe maybe it needs to get wacky again. They they need to do something different. I don't know. Well, this is the problem with anything when you've got a gritty reboot, is that people don't like. I don't know. And the thing is, is that Bond in the nineties was started off pretty grounded. Like GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies are kind of grounded. GoldenEye, certainly. Um, you know, let's not talk about Die Another Day. That has major problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least it didn't <laughs> It didn't break internal consistency as Spectre did. Like in many ways I'm more angry with Spectre for right. what they did to Spectre and to Blofeld right. than I am with Die Another Day for just being kind of shit. Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And and the fact that everyone made such a big deal of Halle Berry and she's just kind of shit because everyone is kind of shit. Sure. Um, <laughs> and anyway, but that's going too far forward. Uh, there was something else I wanted to say about this film. What was I going to say? Well, I was going to say it has a very cavalier attitude to radiation or, or not, not cavalier, yes! but like, well, was that what you were going to say? Oh no, I'm just agreeing with you. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. it just it, radiation is obviously still a, a brand new concept to a lot of people, even though like the 50s was very much like you know radiation focused, and like there's a lot of business about like they're they're, they're contaminated and they need to be like scrubbed down, and they're they're measuring the the background radiation counts on all the on, on as they go through this <laughs> this this conveyor belt again. Yeah. Um, which which felt very Austin Powers to me again. Yeah. Like it was a very Austin Powers uh, scene where they they yeah. sort of ah oh, it's down to down to forty down to twenty. Yeah. Twenty more more you know like just but they give them these the weird thing. weird robes at the end like ah. Uh. They they are they are you know it's not an Austin Powers scene it's a Bond scene that Austin Powers just made so funny and kind of pointed out the innate ridiculousness of it that we now think of it as, you know, this is why I can't hear $1 million. Yes, absolutely. Because $1 million for a goldfish tank is impressive in 1962. Absolutely. You know, $1 million. It cost me $1 million. $1 million is what the whole film cost to get made. Yes, which which might have been a sly nod, I guess, or... Um, maybe, but yeah, the, 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 but, you know, Dr. Noah is saying he spent it on just this one part, but then he built the whole crab key operation for mm. 10 million that he stole from the Tong. Is it the Chinese mafia? Uh, the Chinese mafia. Yeah. The Tongs. Um, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, it's just a, it's a, it's a, a very enjoyable film. Like I thought I would be. You know, and I'm, I've got a pretty high tolerance for, for older films. I do enjoy a lot of older films, but I thought I suspected from my memories of it when watching it as a kid. Because I, when I was a kid, I would watch uh, the Roger Moore films, and I loved them. And I would watch, oh, yeah. the, I'd watch the newer ones as they came out, like the Pierce Brosnans, and I was like, oh, they're, they're good too. And I would watch the Sean Connery ones, and they always felt really slow and kind of boring. Um. When I was younger, like when I when I got older, you were like, oh, okay, I, I get this. But I I still remember thinking, oh well, Doctor No, it's the first one, and I remember it being very slow. But it was a very enjoyable film. <laughs> like I know that yeah. sounds really weird to say, but I had a lot of fun watching this movie. It was good. It was it fun. Is. It was interesting. It is. It's super fun. Um, 
Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say is uh, bikini sales went up after this. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, well, because 1962, they were right. Um, that was cutting edge fashion. Uh, they they were had been out, but they really just went like bikinis, bikinis, bikinis. Um, and what I love is that her figure, she's got a very, um, you know, it's it's just that whole thing of women now all are so airbrushed and perfect and they've all got the right body dimension. Sure. She's got, like, she's gorgeous, but she's got a very tiny waist and then, um, like, hips. But when you see her from behind, her swimsuit is kind of, like, baggy in the butt. The yeah, and that's just and that's just a 60s bikini. Yeah. Like, the 60s bikini, she's just come out of yeah. the water, it's a bit baggy in the butt. Like when yeah. you compare that, because they did in Die Another Day, they have Halle Berry come out of the water wearing sure. an orange suit and it's this whole tribute to Ursula Andress because that movie had a whole bunch of tributes to various Bond things, like yes. Easter eggs, which is fine. Why not put her in the white suit then? Anyway, whatever. Um, orange probably set off her skin tone better. Um, but – she kind of comes out strutting and everything's like everything is perfect because, yeah, Halle, because, Berry, because Halle Berry has an insane body. <laughs> Halle Berry is a zombie, not a zombie, a vampire who does not age. Yes. Um, she's in, she's in her fifties now. You know that, right? Yeah. Like I don't, she it's, it's Halle Berry, Jennifer Lopez. There's a few of them and they just like, how do you not age? You are mm. eternal. Like, 30 and put them at tops and they're just like holy shit how are you so amazing in your body uh, well, well i mean nowadays uh because the technology exists to make them well, look that way that is true but then ursula andres is her she doesn't have kind of rock solid abs no and yet and, well she's she's, she's astonishingly beautiful she's, in this movie but, my but god she's real does that make yes. sense yeah yeah absolutely i i and and all of she's the women in this movie legs. Yeah. legs real kind of sort of a a busty top with a tiny waist and then out to, like she's she's real she's not so perfectly silhouetted hmm. she looks like a girl who's been diving and getting shells there, there, there was one point there was one point where my wife uh said that um she said oh she's um she's sucking her gut in yeah i was like yeah she is she, yeah. she's like and she's not she doesn't have a gut no but there was there's there's a point where she is definitely and you can see her like yeah. holding her holding her stomach in. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she's on film. It's her first film. She doesn't speak English. She doesn't know what's going on. So you're like, look, I'm just going to stand here and try to look as best as I can. <laughs> I did a photo shoot recently where I had to kind of, for some shots, kind of just tie my shirt up and in them you can just see my gut. And I was holding it in as much as I could. <laughs> it did not make much of a difference, Stu. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm right there with you now. <laughs> but, yeah, sadly. Uh, despite my efforts during a pandemic to try and exercise every day, I'm um, also eating probably more than I should. <laughs> it's a desperate, it's a desperate battle. <laughs> oh, it's, it's Easter as well. You got to, you got to have some chocolate. Uh, that is true. As we record this, it is Easter. Um, so, other thoughts about Doctor No as we wrap up. Uh, no, I, 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 that's basically it. I, I just found it. I found it really interesting that it sort of, as the as the movie goes on, you feel it figure out how to be a Bond film. Mm. And I think it's it'll be really interesting because I I think I've seen From Russia with Love once. 
uh, went a long time ago. So I'm really interested to watch that now to see how it sort of springboards to the next step. Mm. I think that'll be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, what about you? How long has it been since you've seen this film? Oh, gosh, it'll be some years. It's the kind of thing where with the Bond films, I generally will see them if I flick on the TV and they'll be on or someone will tag me on Twitter and go, oh, my God, there's a Bond film on or do you know what I mean? So I um, I come and go with them. But, uh, yeah, I certainly probably wouldn't have seen it all the way through for – say, 10 years or something since I've watched it all the way through. Right, okay. So you're um, coming to it with fairly fresh eyes. Yeah. And I still like it. Like, I think yeah. um, I enjoy it. I think it was a really good choice for them to start with, and I think they made some good choices. Because it wasn't the first book, was it? No, no, not at all. I think it was, like, the seventh or eighth book. Right. But there had been arguments. They'd wanted to do Thunderball. But there was a clash with the guy who wrote the screenplay and Ian Fleming, which is why years down the track yeah. they make Never Say Never Again, which is essentially Absolutely. Thunderball. And we'll have to decide if we want to include that film. <laughs> um, because a lot of people do in their various lists, and I always say, no, it's not canon. It is not an oh, Eon well, Productions. It's I not. Will be, I will be guided by you. You are the Bond expert. Well, uh, at the same time, it's really interesting because it's got Kim Basinger in it. That's right, yes. And um, and, and, a, and a very old um, uh, Max, Sean Connery. Yeah, and Max von Sydow, and it's it's interesting. Like it's an interesting take. Well, but then if you if you go down that route, do we then do the two other versions of Casino Royale that are out there? And well, this is the thing. Maybe if we finish the canon canonical. Oh, that's true. Yes, we could go we back, could and back in. Yeah. Other. Like the and maybe uh, even do the Austin Powers. <laughs> yes, and see what films they rip off. Well, um, Casino Royale with with David Niven and uh, Woody Allen and uh, the one that they made in the late sixties that Ursula Andress is in. I've not seen. I've no, got it on I've DVD. Never seen it I've not seen it the whole way through because it's so weird that right. I remember trying to watch it and just giving it's up. It's a full on parody, isn't it? Like I think so, but it's. It was so weird and it wasn't Bond that I went, I don't like this. So it might be interesting. <laughs> it might I be don't like this. Turn it off. It might be interesting to try to watch anyway. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. We'll, no, we can, we can, well, I mean, that, that's a fair way down the track. But, yeah, we can we can make a decision. But I'll be guided by you. You are the Bond expert. <laughs> oh, look, I, I don't claim myself to be like, the world expert on on Bond. I like to pretend that I am. Well, you're, you're the Bond um, expert of this podcast. True, but I do have very strong views, and I have views that are very sentimental, and yeah. I acknowledge that. But I also do think that it's very easy for people to write Bond off as sexist and misogynistic and all that stuff. It's true. It doesn't stop them necessarily being fun mo movies and a part of our cultural, pop cultural landscape and hugely influential um, for so many other films. I think we were just talking uh, before we started recording about things like even The Fast and the Furious have kind of a, a Bond vibe or has Bond kind of taken on some of that. The Mission Impossible films, you know, there's so many action films that have a debt, I think, to, to mm. the Bond films. So Absolutely. Um, how they will continue to do Bond. I think 
and we can discuss this as we go along. But I, I just think I love to see James Bond. And I think um, the the true Bond is the Bond of the 60s with that post-war kind of Cold War, uh, That that's sort of your true Bond. And then Bond sure. has evolved and done other things. So as long as Bond is, you know, British, you know what? There could probably be a really good argument to make that James Bond is somehow responsible for Brexit. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I could probably make that argument. Well, I was just about to say, like, you know, if they're not careful, I mean, there won't be a Britain for him to be British in uh, for, for much longer. So, well, this is you know, thing. as we and, go on. And Bond has famously been played by non-English people men yeah very, very rarely i mean i think it was just um uh like pierce brosnan is irish he's irish uh uh lazenby's um, australian yes well i guess sean connery's scottish obviously scottish. and then wasn't it timothy dalton no timothy dalton and roger moore are both english i think uh are they both english? yeah slightly yeah. welsh timothy, no, i was going to say yeah. timothy dalton is welsh is welsh but but yeah. so that means that means that roger moore is the only uh englishman and Daniel Craig, I think, is English. Oh, and Daniel Craig, yes, yeah. yes. So, you know, they've got two in there. But famously... <laughs> it's less I, than you would think. And I think the rule is they've got to be someone from kind of the Commonwealth. So, for example, they'd take Hugh Jackman as Bond or maybe a Chris Hemsworth or something like that, but they wouldn't <laughs> take an American. You know, yes. you wouldn't take Chris Evans or, you know. I, I still think that there's a good chance... My theory was um, Kit Harrington uh, to be that's Bond. Not, that's not crazy. I know there, there was a lot of rumours going around. I think it's, it's probably passed again. What? Obviously, there, there was the Idris Elba thing a while ago, but there was also uh, Tom Hiddleston was strongly yeah, uh, being put forward, and, and he feels like a Bondy sort of a guy. He's he's more of the – I would put him more in like your Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore, kind of a bit more suave Bond. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Daniel Craig, I put along with um, uh, Sean Connery in that slightly more muscular Bond. Like a more action man. Yeah. Uh, the other one who is in that vein as well that I've heard is Richard Madden, who was Rob Stark. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Who, he yeah. was in a, a show called Bodyguard last year, year before, with Keely Fawes, yes. which is a great series. It is, yeah. Um, silly but very engaging. And he's great in it, just very, like, super, you know, totally locked down emotionally, minimal dialogue. Yeah. Very – he's using his, his main Scottish accent, so he's, he says – he refers to her as mum all the time instead of ma'am. It's like, yes, mum, yes, mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, but based off that performance, a lot of people started speculating him about him as a Bond. And I think they'd be best going forward casting younger again. Um. Especially if they want some longevity, because I know that um, uh, Daniel Craig has famously said, like, you know, th these films have nearly killed him multiple times. Yeah. I'm surprised he came back for a fifth. They must yeah. have backed a big truck up. They, they would have backed up a <laughs> dump truck full of money. Sorry. Obviously, one of the jerks is sick of me podcasting because he's proceeding to just <laughs> knock shit off the table. What are you well, doing? I mean... Sorry. Given, given that it's uh, given that we've now moved on to uh, fan casting yes. <laughs> bonds, we should probably wrap up. <laughs> but uh, no, I was I was just to, to to sum up, and I'll give you the final word, obviously. But uh, I really liked it. I think it was a 
it was a really interesting start to the franchise and a really interesting way that they were still sort of feeling out what this was going to be. And I'm really interested to see how it sort of throws forward and see the next couple of movies. I think that it is, yeah, really fun to watch it, have that detective slower paced, more intrigue based first half or even first two thirds combined with the crazy, wacky, wild, you know, and you can see why audiences would have gone, oh, my God, this is look at the villain. You know, you've got this amazing arch villain and Mm. a gorgeous Bond girl and a beautiful location. So it's set up so much of what we would come to um, understand as Bond tropes and Bond language. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to From Russia With Love, which takes it back a bit more seedy again, Um, not quite as glamorous, I think, in many ways. Mm. And some really good villains and stuff coming up for From Russia With Love. So Okay. Yep. Looking we will see that. you next time, Mr. Bond. <laughs> what should our out for this be? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Like, do you, do you... Uh, oh, I know. Uh, so when I, I say I'm Nat, you say uh, and I'm Stu, and then I'll say a thing and you'll know how to finish it, okay? this is We've never done this before, okay. but I guarantee you you'll know how to finish this. This All is right. going to be our outro. Are you ready? So okay, cool. I'm Natalie. And I'm Stu. And we're shaken. Not stirred. Yeah! <laughs> See? See? I got it. I got it. Yep. He also no. had the martini. We didn't even talk about the martini. We didn't talk about the martini. They make a big deal of the martini. We'll talk about the martini next time. Okay. Are we, right, are we out? Are we done? <laughs> well, we are now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye.